Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome to Foothills Christian Church. I especially want to shout out to you who might be here for the first time or if you're watching online for the first time, maybe you accepted an invitation to a church at home or doing a microchurch for the first time. We are Foothills Christian Church, a place where you can belong. If there's one thing that the COVID pandemic taught us is that you cannot do life isolated and on your own. It just doesn't work. We're in a series studying the book of Galatians. And in this book, we see seven rules of life that kind of bubble to the surface. And these seven rules can change your life because they're rules about uh, how you think, where your beliefs are formed. So it's about focusing your mind. They are rules about your behavior because your behavior either reinforces or undermines your goals and virtues and values of your life, and then your heart, how you feel about things or your attitude towards things. That's what these rules are all about. If you want to catch up, because it might be your first time, you can go to our uh, uh, YouTube channel and you can see all of the previous messages. It's very easy. You could go to YouTube. You just put in your uh, email address, pick a password, it's free, and then search Foothills Boise. And that's important because there's other Foothills Christian churches out there, but Foothills Boise, and then hit the subscribe button, and boom, you'll always be taken right to our channel each and every time on your feed, and you can catch all of the messages. Now, the whole point about the book of Galatians has been Uh, how to do life in a certain way, and particularly in the big sense, not get off track. And today we are at rule number six, which is based on verse one of chapter five, and it is all about living free. So let's look at chapter five, verse one, and this is what it says. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm. This is a very important uh, statement. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, this verse right here is the entire point of the book of Galatians, okay? This is the entire point. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. So what is freedom? Well, in early America in the 1700s, which is the 18th century, I know that's confusing, but that's how they do it. And in early America during the, uh, what was leading up to the American Revolution, and then in 1776 when they signed the Declaration of Independence, was basically the notion of liberty. You know, give me liberty or give me death. And that freedom was about the ability to chart your own course towards success, prosperity, even spiritual growth. You were allowed to worship according to your own conscience. And so underneath that was a notion that you owned your own labor, which is really odd for those who are young today. They're like, what? Well, that was a big deal in the 1700s. Well, for the next 120 years of America, 
everything that went on was basically whether or not this notion of freedom would extend to every human being who had feet on American soil. And guess what? The answer after 120 years was yes. We expanded it to everybody who would be an American citizen. And then we fought a civil war over it to make sure that uh, everybody of different ethnicities could be a part of it. And then the women's suffrage movement started. And so what we see is that every human being had liberty or freedom. And it kind of stayed that way uh, up until about 1950, 1960. And then at that point, a whole new definition of freedom came around. And that was the hippie movement. And their whole point about freedom was, I want the freedom to do whatever I want. It was anti-establishment. And so you had people wearing clothes that were really tight in some areas and then really baggy in others. Do you remember the bell bottoms? You remember that? You know, and then they, you know, they'd wear really tight, you know, and then they'd flare out in these big baggy areas. I think it was tight versus loose clothing confusion is what it was. So, and everything was about drugs and uh, just doing whatever you wanted. Well, now today, that's changed. And the definition of freedom today is the notion that I want to do everything I want and everything I want should be free. Everything I want. I want free college. I want a free car. I want free insurance. I want free everything. And so that's kind of how it changed. Now, is any of these freedoms what Paul is talking about? Actually, he's talking about the most important freedom of all, and that's your spiritual freedom. Because guess where liberty and the freedom to be free of impulses and addictions, and where do you think all these other freedoms come from? It comes from our spiritual freedom. That's where it starts. So the main point of Galatians is this, live free. Don't live unfree. And that's what he studies in chapter five. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through it and we're actually going to look at his argument, but backwards. We're going to start at the end of the chapter, 22 through 26 verses, and then we're going to work our way backwards because I want you to see how his argument logically builds upon itself. Okay, so let's get started and jump in. Turn your Bibles to chapter five of the book of Galatians, and I'm going to read to you beginning with verse 22, which is towards the end of the chapter. Now, listen, this is a lot of good stuff. Here he goes. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is. So he's saying, when I live in the Spirit of God, I get all of this stuff. It is the fruit of the tree of the Spirit of God. So when I live that, he goes, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So not only do I want to live in the Spirit of God, I want to stay aligned with it, in step with it, okay? And then it says, verse 26, let us not become conceited, meaning self-centered, focused on ourselves only, provoking and envying one another. Now, here's a really important thing that he does here is he says, here's all the good stuff. So when I live free in Christ, 
I reap all this good stuff. I get love and patience and peace and joy and kindness. And then he uses an idiom, and an idiom is a, a phrase that talks about one thing but means something totally else. Like, for instance, if you look at your buddy and you go, I don't think he's playing with a full deck. Are you talking about cards? <laughs> no, you're not. If you say, I don't think his elevator goes all the way to the top. Are you talking about lifting mechanics? No. If you say the lights are on, but there's nobody home, are you talking about uh, wasteful electricity? No. It means something totally different, right? Well, what he says this, he says, against such things, there is no law. That's an idiomatic expression that means this is what everybody wants. It doesn't matter what you believe, what you think your religion is or your politics or your social status. Everybody, every human being is on this quest to find real authentic love, to discover joy, peace, kindness. We all want these things. Now, I'd like to tell you a few stories about different people. I want to tell you about Sheila, who had graduated from college. She had a job, and she was looking for these things. She uh, was not happy with the job that she had, so she shifted to a new, a new position. And when she got there, what happened is a coworker invited her to a small group. And she went to this small group, and six months later, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And she said, it was in that moment when I discovered what authentic happiness was all about. That's when I discovered what real uh, meaning and purpose and joy and kindness. She goes, it was the most incredible thing. If I, she goes, I cannot give thanks enough to that coworker who invited me to that Bible study because it totally transformed my life. I, I'm going to tell you about Tom. Tom is a guy that I knew, and Tom was 38, 39 years old when he finally found his purpose in life. He was pretty aimless. He really struggled, but it wasn't until he was 38, 39 years old when he finally discovered what it means to actually be a man. And when he figured that out, right, he was able then to start dating authentically for the first time in his life and meet someone and get married. And he looks back and he says, I never would have discovered what it meant to be a man if I hadn't met Jesus Christ, because he is the real man. And when I met him is when my journey towards love and peace and joy and happiness happened. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Jackie Hill Perry. Uh, she wrote a book. I'll talk about it in just a moment. And she, at the age of 19 years of age, said that uh, I, I wasn't invited to a Bible study. I, was, I didn't go to a concert. I didn't go to a revival. As a matter of fact, I was in my bedroom at home and Jesus showed up and forever changed my life. And now I'm experiencing all of this love, joy, patience. My life has become whole. Wow, what a statement. My life has become whole whole. So the point is, is that we, just like Sheila, Tom, and Jackie, are on the same pursuit as they are. And when we find these things, they are amazing. So why don't we find them? Why aren't we walking in this all the time? Well, Paul says, there's a problem. And this is what mucks it up. 
Now, I don't know what the word mucks mean, but that's what my dad used to say to me. He'd say, go out there and wash the car and don't muck it up. He'd say, go out there and fix this thing, but don't muck it up. And I'm like, now I said that first service, I've already got four or five emails and three texts about the definition of muck. So don't feel that you need to add on to that because I'll go through them later. I just wanted to share that because I thought it was kind of a funny joke a little bit. But listen to what he says. There's something is there's a problem that gets in the way of us getting all of these wonderful things and experiencing them in our life. And that is in verses 19 through 21. And listen to what he says. Now the acts of the flesh are obvious. Listen to this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. What a list that is. And then he just doesn't say, this is it. He goes, and the like. So there's a whole boatload of other stuff that goes in there. So what is he saying after this list, verse, uh, kind of halfway through verse 21? I warn you, I warn you as I did before. Now this is a hard truth, but he writes it, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now scholars argue about this and they go, well, is this statement a Descriptive statement, or is it a proscriptive statement? A descriptive statement means he's describing what happens when people choose to live this way. Kind of like this. If you don't save any money from retirement, you're not going to have any money in retirement. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me, you know. If you re eat really unhealthily, you're going to feel unhealthy. Okay, that makes sense. So that's descriptive, right? But then there's proscriptive, and proscriptive works like this. Well, if you choose to do that, I'm going to take it all away from you. So it has a more punitive flavor to it. In reality, for our purposes, does it really matter? Because the bottom line is, is Paul is saying something very descriptive, and that is this. These lifestyle choices end up somewhere. And this is really important to understand. You can do whatever you want because you have freedom. You can choose to believe whatever you want to believe. You live in America and you can do that. You can pretty much almost do anything you want. As a matter of fact, half of these things on this list you can do and not even get a ticket in America. So the issue isn't, do you have the freedom to do them? Therefore, the notion is, is that if you have the freedom to do them and you have the capacity to choose to do them, where do they end up? Where do these lifestyles end up? And Paul says they don't end up in the fruit of the Spirit. They don't end up in love. They don't end up in peace. They don't end up in joy. They don't end up in kindness. They don't end, uh, uh, end up in any of these really good things. Now, Sheila, she found this out because she wanted that, but she didn't have it. She was unhappy and miserable. 
As a matter of fact, she was so unhappy and so miserable that after she got out of college, she says, I would start drinking wine on Monday at lunch. And I would carry a high level buzz until I got to Friday at lunch. And then I would just let it rip so that by Friday at five, I was drunker than a skunk. And she said, I had this pattern. And I would do that until about two or three o'clock on Sunday, which my weekends were just a fog. And she said, then I had this thing where I would start trying to detox myself so I could be sober enough to show up for work on Monday. That's how miserable I was. Tom had no idea what it meant to be a man or live like a man or how to love another woman because he was addicted to porn. Hardcore addiction to porn. And it ruled his life. Jackie Hill Perry says in her book that the reason she couldn't experience any of the fruit of the Spirit in her own words, because I was a lesbian. See, there's a problem. We want this, but there's stuff that mucks it up. So let's see, well, why does this stuff muck it up? Why can't I be happy and just do whatever I want? Why can't I have love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, and all these cool things in my life? and just do whatever I want, whenever I want. Well, because there's a principle or a fact of life. And Paul tells us what that is in verses 12 through 18. So let's look there, 13 through 18, I guess, is where it actually starts. Listen to this. Here's the principle, a fact of life. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Oh, if I live free, then I get all this good stuff, right? The joy, love, peace, patience, and kindness. He goes, you were called for that. You were meant for that. That's why Christ died for you. He says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Well, what does he mean by that? Rather serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. He's saying, he goes, look, there's, there's a truth here I want you to get. And here it is, verse 16. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you do not do whatever you want to do. See, he's saying when you just do whatever you want, you're not moving towards the spirit of God, which produces love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness in your life. You're moving towards a trap. You see, he says, don't do whatever you want, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then remember what I just read, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And he has that big list. So what is he saying here? He's saying a very basic principle of life. And that is, is that there's a part of you that has desires and everything you desire is not good for you. And then there's a part of you, your soul that longs for something deeper and greater. You see, this works all the time. And your bodily desires can mislead you. Okay, look at uh, Tom. 
Tom was exposed to pornography in middle school in the public library. That's where he saw it for the first time. He had some buddies, they rode bicycles. They said, hey, let's go down to the library. I got something to show you. And they went down there and they got on the computer and they saw, he saw porn for the first time. It, you know, when he saw it for the first time, and pornographers know this, every neuron in his brain just went, bam! It was like the most, his body did things that he didn't know his body would do. And he was more excited, more, I mean, and that's when his addiction started. Okay? But what happened is when he got into high school, said, I tried to have sexual uh, relationships with other girls in college. I tried to be sexually active. He said at first it worked, but then he realized it was never as exciting as a pornography. It's never as exciting as pornography. Why? How in the world does that happen? Well, if you understand neurochemical uh, research and how the brain works is... Pornographers know this very, very well. And that is, is that your body, can, you can train it to crave things that are really, really bad for you. Like uh, people who get addicted to heroin, sometimes they die getting off heroin because their body is so addicted to it. And when you start starving it, the body overreacts and you can die. See, it's, it's just really fascinating that the body not doing everything you want is not necessarily good for you. Maybe it's something like this is that I just like to sleep, man. I want to go to bed at nine o'clock and I want to sleep till noon every day. Okay, that may feel good, but that's really not good if you want to eat regularly and pay your bills, right? So it could be something as simple as that. Why is it, you, I know everybody knows it's true, everybody watching, everybody listening. Why is it, guys, sometimes you're attracted to girls who are train wrecks and the worst thing in the world for you? but you can't help yourself. And your friends look at you and go, dude, bro, you got the Messiah complex, man. Quit doing that. Ladies, why are you so attracted to fix them uppers? Why? You know, this is true. And Tom had the same problem because he, his body, his flesh started to desire things that were bad for him. Sheila, she grew up in a home where her parents got divorced when she was four and they married, got, they both got married right away. And what happened is her, one set of parents were, uh, had started going to church because they were like, the second time we don't want to mess it up. And so they, they met Jesus. And so she would go to church with them and she grew up in the church over here. It's, it's pretty conservative. And then her other parents didn't want anything to do with it. And so one week she would be with them and one she, week she would be that. They had split residential custody. And so she grew up living in these two worlds. But the parents never talked about it because if it ever came up, it created all this conflict, right? And so they basically kind of had this detente. And that is, we won't talk about it. We won't bring it up. When she's with us, and she learned early on, don't bring it up with the other family, right? But she grew up in, in these two situations. She had no idea who she is. She felt this constant pressure. Uh, she had a stepsister who was beautiful. And she's like, I'm not as pretty as this girl. I'll never be like her. I, I don't look like her. I don't have this attractiveness like her. All the boys love her. They won't pay any attention to me. When in middle school and through high school, it was all, uh, all the attention. We'd go to the same places. All the attention was her. And then, uh, she, she was like, oh, and here's my stepsister. So it wasn't, so she started drinking a little bit in high school. And then when she got to college, she started drinking like a fish because it was the only time where she felt that she could just be free from the stress and pain of not measuring up. 
Jackie Hill Perry in her book, she says that what happened is I grew up in a home without a father and the first time I was sexually aroused is because another girl was doing something and I knew in that moment I was gay. And loving other girls was the most natural, normal thing that I could ever experience. There's a fact of life that there's a flesh and there's a spirit and our flesh sometimes deceives us and it craves things, you know? I mean, if you have any doubt of the truth of what I'm saying, just look at me. I crave things that are not good for me. I cannot say no at times, right? My wife and I have an agreement, you know? Early on, when we first got married, created a big problem in our family. And that is my wife has the most incredible self-control. She will buy a bag of M&Ms. She'll snip off the corner. She will eat one M&M a day for three months. <laughs> when we first got married, you know what she would do? She would put them in a bowl out there on the table, right? I'd walk by that thing and I'd go, ooh, I want something sweet. I'd grab a half gallon of milk and I'd just pour the whole bag until it was gone and half the thing is gone and I'd go, okay, I think I'm done because I'm too lazy to drive to the store and buy more. That was my impulse control when it came to Ken. So what happened is, as she would get, why did you eat all my M&Ms? Don't you love me? Uh, yeah. So we came to an agreement and that is, honey, you buy all the candy you want and hide it. Because if, if it's not in the house, I won't eat it. I, I'm not going to go to the store and buy stuff. So the way I control myself is I just never buy the stuff. It's never around. It's out of sight, out of mind. It never, ever bugs me. And so my kids grew up knowing that there's always candy in the house. You just had to find it. <laughs> so now they're on the search. Where is it? Where is it? Like, I don't know. I just I don't want to know. I don't have anything. See, this is a fact of life. And that's what Paul says. There's flesh and spirit. Let's go forward. So if it's a fact of life, how in the world do you deal with it? Okay, how in the world do you deal with it? Well, you have to get on a path that sets you up for success. Just like my wife and I, I don't ever want to see it. I'll never eat it. In the same way, spiritually and with your body and your lifestyle, if you want the fruit of the spirit in your life, you have to have a path that sets you up for success to overcome this principle because you aren't strong enough, smart enough to do it on your own. If you were, then Jesus had no reason to die on the cross. Put that in your brain because it's very important. Listen to the path in verses seven through 12. Listen to what he says. And you understand that this is a path right off the bat. You were running a good race. You were running the path. You were on the right track then what happened? Who came in and cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? So somebody came in and got him off on the different path. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who called you, meaning Jesus Christ. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that whoever did that uh, is going to throwing you into confusion. Whoever did that be will have to pay a penalty. Verse 11, brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Okay, this is really important. What he's saying is, look, if I was misleading you, why am I being persecuted? 
And he says, the, if what they're saying is true, the offense of the cross has been abolished. This is a really big, important part. And this is why it's so hard for people to actually come to Jesus Christ and meet him for the first time. Because every single person is initially offended by the cross. Now, it's important for the church to remove every other offense except the offense of the cross. And here's why. You know why Jesus Christ died? He died to save your annoying neighbor, right? You know, the guy who always leaves his trash bins out and he gets that big giant blower, you know, and blows all of his leaves into your yard. That guy, the guy who has parties all the time. And you're like, thank God Jesus died because my neighbor's annoying and there's no other way he's going to get into heaven unless it's all by grace, you dirtbag. Um, <laughs> right? That's why Jesus died. He died for your neighbor. Or he, 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 divide, he died for those political people on the other side of the aisle because those people are nuts. That's why he died, right? Is that what it says? It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. You know what it says? It says, Christ died for you because you're a what? Sinner. I know a lot of guys, a lot of alpha males, you know, and the biggest issue for them is go, yeah, well, you know, I believe in God. I like that God stuff, but I don't need a savior. I'm a DIYer when it comes to my spiritual life. I don't need no one saving me. I say myself. I said, well, good luck with that when you die and you're standing on the precipice, you know? I don't know about you, but no one's ever got out of life alive. One of the things that's so important is the path that you're on sets you up for success. So be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you follow. Sheila listened to the world. She was under pressure because she didn't know who she was. She grew up with a beautiful stepsister. And so she, she, she believed the worst lie of all. Very early on, the biggest deception and lie for young girls today is Teen Vogue. It's MTV and all of these channels and Snapchat and TikToks and all these kinds of things that show all of these girls with perfect bodies and perfect faces and flawless skin. When I was growing up as a young man, there was a song that was rocketed the top by this woman and it was called When I Was 17. And she sings about uh, when I was 17, Attraction and happiness was reserved for beauty queens, girls with flawless complexions, but not me. I had a ravaged face, meaning acne, and I wasn't there. The, the biggest lie for young girls is that if you're not attractive, if you're not perfect, if you're not the most beautiful, because all you are in the end in the world is a sexual object, then you have no value. You, you should feel bad about yourself. Why do they lie to you like that? Because if, if they get you to believe, if Teen Vogue gets you to believe that you're never going to measure up, you're never going to be beautiful, you're never going to be enough, then how much money are you going to spend the rest of your life to buy the right clothes and the right hair and the right this and the right that just so that you can try to play that game? It's a griff. It's a lie. They're deceiving you because they want you to spend money on what they say is beautiful. That is the lie of the world. And young girls are being pumped full of it right in their veins like it's an adrenaline shot. Because the world doesn't love you. The world wants to control you. And when you're controlled, you are not free. 
The only time she felt free from the pressure of measuring up and not knowing who she was was when she drank. And so her body craved alcohol. Her soul was so thirsty. The more alcohol she drank, the more dry her soul became. Tom, he believed the lie of listening to his body. Why do you think pornographers hire more hackers than lawyers? Why is that? Because the pornography industry makes more money than NFL, NBA, and the MLB combined. Billions upon hundreds of billions of dollars. And the biggest people that they hire is hackers. And you know what their hackers do? Spend all their time trying to get around the filters. Most people are not aware of this, but in the American Library Association that runs all of our public libraries is a stated purpose that children have a right to access porn. They got so much heat over this that they say, unless your local district uh, uh, doesn't approve, then you have to uh, comply with their rules. Is that just the most mealy mouth, worthless statement you've ever heard in your life? It's just so ridiculous. They want your kids to see porn. Why? Because when that kid, eight years old, forms the neural pathways and they, do you know how much money that boy will spend on pornography for the rest of his life? It's a lie. And it destroys your life. Jackie said, I grew up in a situation, I had no father and stuff like that. And the first time that I was sexually aroused, it was what these two girls were doing. And in that moment, I knew I was gay. She said, I listened to the culture. Today, you may not be aware of this, but one of the biggest things on TikTok right now, because people love TikTok, you know, watching all this, is these girls put up clips of other girls doing, uh, uh, kissing each other, making out. And then they say, oh, this is the scene when I knew I was gay. That's what they talk about all the time. It's everywhere. A lot of people say, well, the reason they're doing that is because there's so much prejudice in the past. We're just trying to normalize it. But that's not true because homosexuality has been normal for over 2,000 years, 3,000 years. It's always been normal. You read about it all the time when you read history and the old, uh, about the Roman Empire and how that worked. They had all these mores about it. They had all these things and regulations about it. I mean, it was, it was practiced all the time. It's always been with us. It's always practiced. The, the, the level of practicing of, of these types of things are exactly the same as when I was a teenager. It's not any different. It's just that it's so much more. It's not because it's being normalized. You know why it's presented so often? Because they're recruiting. It's about recruitment. It's trying to tell young girls and young boys that the first time you're aroused sexually about something, this is what it means. This is your identity. But that's false. Take my word for it. You're going to be aroused by a lot of different things over the course of your life. That does not mean that's who you are, right? I mean, sometimes I'm at the point now where, man, I see a really nice car and it's just got this beautiful candy apple thing. And you're going, wow, that excites me. That doesn't mean I'm weird. It's, you know, you see a really nice weapon, you know, you see an AR-15 that's all tricked out with the multiple sights on it. And you're just like, man, that is really satisfying to see. 
When you, you start to realize that is probably the worst thing in your life to build your identity around. It just doesn't work. Jackie listened to the culture and she wrote a book about it. It's called Gay Girl, Good God. And she talks about how she found freedom and wholeness in Christ. And, and that only happened when she met Jesus. And she met Jesus in her bedroom when she was 19 years old. And that has forever changed her life. You see, what you have to do is realize if I want to overcome the principle of going one way or the other, I have to have a path that sets me up to a uh, path of success. And the way I have to do that is realize at the very beginning, the whole point of doing this, setting myself up for success to avoid the principle is because I want to experience the promise. And the promise is the fruit of the Spirit. Verse one says this, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, don't let it go. Embrace it and say, I will not allow the, all of these things doing whatever I want whenever I wanna do it because that's not freedom, that's a trick. What I wanna do is live in the spirit and I want to express my capacity to love. I want to love my spouse, my wife or my husband with everything I've got. I want to love my kids. I want to love my career selflessly, not narcissistically. I want to love it. I want to love the blessings of what God has brought. I want to love my church. I want to love my friends. I want to love all of these good things humbly because that is where it begins. There's a direct link between your pursuit of Jesus Christ and the fruit of the Spirit. If you try to pursue the world, if you try to do whatever you want whenever you want, try to be a, a, a recycled 60s hippie, you're not gonna experience these things in your life. And that's the truth of what God wants to say. And he wants you to know that. He wants you to know that deep within your heart, deep within your life, you are already free because you know Jesus. Don't allow someone or something to come in and persuade you away from what you already are. Focus your mind. Work on thinking the belie and believing the right things. Focus on your behavior. Don't let your body's impulses be your God. Seek joy in the fruit of the Spirit so that your emotions and your attitude are turned towards the things that feed your soul. That's how you stand firm. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.